So welcome to episode 27, another episode for Radio Life Ray. Uh, this time I'm speaking to Jorge Ferrer. Uh, is that remotely correct this time or am I butchering names again? It, it's pretty close, Olaf. Okay, try, try yourself so that everybody can hear your proper name. Uh, my name is Jorge Ferrer. Okay, um, that was close to mine, but probably closer to the truth. So uh, you are LifeRay's um, Director of Engineering, am I correct? Or did something uh, change? The official title is uh, Vice President of Engineering. Oh, almost. So Vice President of Engineering, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you. It took uh, us a while. I've, yeah, I've been waiting to receive your call for a long time. Yeah, fin finally you're here. And um, we have a list of uh, things to know, things that you can share, things that I want to ask you. Um, predominantly, of course, about engineering. Uh, who would have thought that? Uh, so in your position, uh, you uh, basically had the, um, the efforts of LifeRay to develop the product further. Um, that is, you're overseeing the development um, and uh, the technical side of uh, the product. Uh, how would you describe all of that? Um, because you'll probably do a way better job than I can. Okay, yeah, actually it's, it's not that easy to describe. In fact, there, is, there are big difference, differences uh, among the different months. Of, uh, different months, I, I do completely different things sometimes. Uh, one thing I wanted to highlight is that even though we obviously have one big product, which is probably our, our largest product, the most well-known, we do have quite a few products if you count everything. So we don't only have live report that we have Social Office, which is also well-known, but then we also have other side projects, uh, which are becoming also quite popular. We have bullet uh, faces. You interviewed Neil, uh, so your listeners probably know uh, a lot about that already. Uh, we have Allo UI, and, and we have other smaller projects that you know are, are starting to grow into a larger ecosystem than just uh, live reporting. So uh, within engineering, we develop all of those. Mm -hmm. Now, re regarding what I, what I do specifically, uh, it actually evolves from the different positions that I've, that I've held in LifeRay. As you probably know, I started as a community member, and then I joined as a senior developer and then architect. Then I, I grew into what some people call, especially some developers call the dark side, and I became the general manager of LifeRay Spain. Uh, but I didn't stop being there. Uh, one of the product architects. And right now, I keep doing a little bit of all of the different roles that I've, I've been in. And probably the newest part of, of my job is to help evolve our processes, to help evolve the way we develop the product so that we keep all the great things that have allowed us to do or to develop such a great product, but at the same time to address the challenges that we have as, as we keep growing. Okay, and that for all of the growing number of projects and products. Yeah. Um, so you're working closely together with the engineers, uh, which is an in, uh, international team. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about this aspect of your of your work. How do you uh, how do you work with all of the people? Um, how does it work in LifeRay? And how did all of this working uh, together, all of this collaboration, change over the years um, that you're with LifeRay and in your mm -hmm. positions, in your various positions? 
Sure. So one of the hiring strategies that, that we've had since, since, we, since, the, since, the, since the company was founded, um, I couldn't say we founded the company because I wasn't part of it. I was just part of the community at the time. Uh, but one of the, one of the things that have always guided the hiring strategy has been hire, hire the best talent, uh, the best library talent, the best developers, whatever they are in the world. So that means we have developers all around the world, uh, some of them from home, some of them from small offices, two or three people, some of them in larger offices like we have in Madrid or in Brazil or in LA. Uh, so it's a very distributed team. And yeah, the, the truth is that it's, it's great that we have a team that has so many talented developers. But it is also true that as, we, as we've grown and as we have a larger and larger team, then being distributed also has a lot of challenges, especially communication challenges. And basically what we are trying to do now is try to overcome those challenges, but still keep the spirit of what I think has made us a great team, which is to have very talented developers with uh, quite a lot of freedom uh, to decide what they work on, which means they are motivated. Uh, motivated developers are so much more productive than motivated developers, and we see that every day. So what's the headcount of, uh, of developers? Roughly, uh, currently, I remember that Cynthia, um, back when I interviewed her, couldn't really give a definitive number, uh, but maybe you can give uh, a current order of magnitude, uh, which yeah, will I, I definitely was, be I was gonna say, Yeah, I was going to say that probably Cynthia knew better than me because she pays much more attention to the specific numbers. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say that full-time developers... We probably have, I think it should be around 30 to 40, mm -hmm. working on, on library portal and, and the other main products. Um, it may be a little bit over that with the last hires, um, but it should be around that number. And then we have many other developers contribute either from within the company, from global services. We have always somebody working on, on some part of the product that they they want to do for a customer and it's aligned with a roadmap and they work on that. Uh, for example, there are now two or three developers working on, on a few things uh, from global services. Then we also have people from support contribute uh, quite often. And of course, we have lots of contributions from the community as well. That's a nice segue um, off from the company to the community. Um, while you are... Um, closely working with the developers in the company, uh, we do get some, uh, well, we do get contributions from the community. And, um, well, this changed over the last years. And while I was still in the community, I've had some problems bringing in some code. I know this changed. Um, how do you change this or how was it changed and how does it currently work? So let's assume I'm a community member and I have found an issue. I have found a bug. I want to get that into, uh, well, I want to get that fixed. I can fix it myself. I need to get it fixed by someone or I have a new feature that I want to have in Liferay. How would I work uh, with you guys um, to actually bring it into the product? Okay, so the, the first thing is to start a conversation. Okay, it's always easier to, to contribute if you start a conversation before you actually have the code. Of, although, of course, 
the code will be very helpful as, as part of the conversation as with any other open source project. Uh, and to start that conversation, it could either be in the message boards or it could also be in Jira by creating a Jira ticket uh, either uh, with a bug or with a feature request. Now that we have uh, feature requests and new ticket type. Uh, and then in the, if it's in the forums, we have uh, a specific category for feature requests as well to start the conversation, even when you still don't know exactly what the solution would be. And usually there are um, several core developers who monitor those, uh, especially the, the, the forums, and often answer all the suggestions. So that's probably the best way to start. Now, once you have the solution, what I've recommended in, in different forum posts and, and blog posts is always to try to find a knowledgeable developer. And there are several ways to find them. It could be from just reading the source, um, reading the source code of LifeRay, uh, which you are doing since you are modifying it, and see the names at the beginning of, of the class in the headers, or look at the history uh, in GitHub and take a look at the developers who have changed that recently, uh, or even just as part of your discussion, that conversation in the in Gira or in the message boards, you find out, uh, or, or you start talking with someone. So once you figure out who is one of the most knowledgeable persons about what you are touching, what you're modifying, then you send a pull request to that person. And that's one of the great things of the move to, to Git, that you can have a conversation, you can exchange code with any library developer, regardless of whether it's in library staff or it's a, a common contributor um, outside of, of library INC. One of the things that I would also like to add related to all of this is that uh, for us, it's always much easier to handle contributions from common contributors, you know, people who have, have had an experience contributing to LifeRay, have gotten used to um, the, the quality standards that we have, even the process, than new contributors. So this is something that I always explain when people approach me, usually at events, and they ask, what advice can you give us uh, regarding contributing to LifeRay? And I, I tell them the same things that, that I would say to anyone contributing to any open source project, which is you have to get to know the process. You, you have to uh, understand how it works. You need to get used to it. Uh, so in order to do that, my first recommendation is always to start with something small. The smaller it is, the easier it will be for you to go through all the process and learn how it works. But sometimes uh, people just have a large piece of code and they want to contribute it. And usually that comes from custom development projects for customers. Mm -hmm. And the quality standards for those type of projects are much lower than the quality standards we are forced to have in, in LifeRay. So it's very, very difficult. It almost requires a complete, a complete rewrite of the code to be able to contribute it with LifeRay. So if it's your first contribution, it might become a little bit frustrating. So it's much better if you start with the smaller contributions, you learn the process, you learn the, the quality standards, the tools that, that we have to help with that. And over time, you will be able to make larger contributions and still have a very smooth process to get them, get them in. That 
Sounds like roughly what I've heard from the internal engineers um, who have transitioned, for example, from support to development or, or right into development or from global services into development. Um, so getting used to the standards, getting used to the coding standards, the, the, uh, the way to document uh, the code, um, this is quite a big step, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's actually something that we get asked a lot from the other side, which is from, from companies adopting the code, and they are afraid. They, they are afraid of open source, many of them. They, they don't know it well enough, and they say, so everybody can contribute, and they think people just add code to library and nobody else sees it, so they are afraid about what happens, and that is, that is not the case. Uh, I don't know if it's the case with, with any open source project, probably not many of them, but in our case, we are very strict, and we have a very strict review process uh, not only for contributions, but we do the same for every line of code that is developed, even by core developers. It's reviewed at least a couple of times nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess there's a lot less strict projects out there, but um, probably also a few more strict um, projects that um, that we can see. I can attest to that from my own side uh, because recently I've just had a uh, what I called a quick win um, addition to a life ray to one of the tag libs. So very simple code, um, nothing really fancy, nothing to be exceptionally proud of, but just it was practical and it was a quick win. Um, mm -hmm. So I found somebody, um, uh, submitted it, submitted a pull request. Um, and uh, well, I'm rarely developing for LifeRays, so I'm not really familiar with the internal processes, with the coding standard. Um, but uh, well, in the end, it got accepted, but severely rewritten. Uh, so you <laughs> you basically cannot see that it's my code, um, but it's in there, and it's uh, some extension to a taglib for the expando fields, uh, which I'm very happy that it's in. Um, mm -hmm. So I can attest, uh, yes, it's possible to get code in even um, if it's just a very little bit. Uh, probably I just got it in because it was so tiny um, and people were willing to rewrite it in, um, in the review process uh, instead of just rejecting a big chunk of, the, of code. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are, there are people from time to time that become very... Um, common contributors, and the more you contribute, the easier it gets. And uh, yeah, that, what happened is that since we've grown so much as a company over the last few years, we've hired almost all of them. So <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want to get hired, that's definitely a good way. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it seems, hey, we don't have community members that contribute so often anymore. And and the answer is, yeah, we've hired all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's not dry out the community, but um, no, no, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll behave well. Um, for, we are, for we are yes, leaving the ground open for the next ones. Yeah. So in the process, uh, everybody is developing the next features for LifeRay. Um, they go through uh, project management and so on, and out come um, some milestones. Um, that we have already. Where are we now? Is it milestone four? Um, uh, the last one is milestone five. Oh, okay. And right now we are preparing milestone six, mm -hmm. which we are not 100% sure whether we'll do a milestone six or we'll start a beta cycle right away. It's something that is being discussed right now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the milestones are one of, one of the things I've been uh, very involved in 
As you know, we are not known for having a huge accuracy in meeting our deadlines, especially oh. with the last two releases. That would have been uh, my my sneaky question if you hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as, as part of the of the process improvement uh, uh, that I'm leading, uh, we wanted to make sure we we address that. And so we've been analyzing the reasons why, why we haven't been able to meet those deadlines. And while there is a wide variety of, of reasons, you know, there's this sentence that I, that I really agree with uh, within technology, which is if something hurts, you have to do it more often. Right? Yeah. And, and the truth is library is, is a very large product and it has more and more features. And while it has a quite lean architecture, it's still a lot of code that you have to release. And it's, it's pretty tough to release it. So it, in a way, you could say that it's, that it's painful, and that's why we wanted to do it more often. Right? So one of the things we've, we've done is set this goal of try to do many milestones, which the first goal is, admittedly, to improve our internal processes for, releases, for releasing LifeRay. Uh, it also keeps us accountable for the status of the source code of the next release, you know, because the second goal is obviously, hey, since we are doing releases, why don't we make them public and we start getting feedback, right? But if we want to do that, then it has to have a certain level of stability. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, nobody will be able to use it. So one of the side benefits of that is that the code quality has never been very bad because otherwise people... Uh, wouldn't have been able to even test the milestones and, and give us the great feedback that they've already been giving us. Uh, so those were the main two goals, and I think it's been pretty successful with those first five milestones. And yeah, we, we've learned a lot through the process. So I think it's, it's going to yeah, make us much more prepared to, to meet our deadlines. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the other thing we've also learned is that... Uh, you know, whenever we gave out a, a deadline, we usually uh, made two mistakes. One of them is the typical developer mistake, which is we were too optimistic. And the second one is that the date we usually gave was the date when we thought we we're going to finish development or we we're going to finish the bug fixes, uh, the, I mean, fixing the bugs that we knew at the time. And that's never enough, right? There are Lots of things, lots of additional things to, to take into account, and we never took those into account. Yeah, like packaging and, uh, well, all of the... Yeah, or new things that come, that appear, uh, new bugs, new circumstances we didn't account for, and you wouldn't believe how many end up happening that you didn't predict. Uh-huh. With such a large ecosystem and, and such a large product as well. Yeah. So... You've probably noticed, all the community has probably noticed that we are trying to be much more careful with the dates that we give out. Um, and instead of that, we've re- we are trying to replace that with showing progress. Mm-hmm. And we want to show progress, and the milestones are part of it. We want to show progress of the new things that we are putting into the new release. And next, what we, we want to do is make sure we show progress in how we get closer to releasing. So I mentioned earlier the beta cycle. So we introduced sort of a beta cycle in the previous release with 601. It was the first approach, and we also learned from it. Now we're going to do it even more seriously. 
probably during June. That's that's my goal. Um, we'll release the first beta. Let's say June or July, the latest. And what we want to do is for several weeks release a new beta. Let's say every every two weeks or so. Um, when we get to beta, basically what we are telling the community is we need your help. We need your help first, letting us know of any bugs that you may find in that release. And second, of course, if you have the ability uh, to help us fix those bugs. And we, we've also done a lot of improvements in terms of visibility. Uh, just like we are applying techniques like Scrum and Kanban internally, one of the key things of Kanban particularly is to increase the visibility. And we have all sorts of boards, electronic systems, uh, physical boards to show what's going on, to show the number of stories we're working on, the number of bugs we have. We are trying to, to make as many of those as we can public so that we can provide all that visibility to the whole community who can see what's going on, how much uh, work is left, how much progress are we making, how can they help. And we'll be providing, uh, well, we, we already have a board for the stories. We'll probably be providing similar tools related to bugs. So we want to get as much involvement as possible during that beta cycle. Uh, I don't know how many beta releases we're going to make. I have no idea. I don't even want to estimate because I think that's, that's not the goal. The goal is that during that beta cycle, we are able to work together with the community to improve the quality as fast as possible. And once we decide we've reached a certain um, quality threshold, then we'll release what we are going to call release candidate, which we're not making this up, of course. It's mm -hmm. a typical release process. Uh, the Apache Foundation has it very well defined, and we are following it a lot. Um, release candidate means this is, this is high quality. One of the things that have happened in the past few releases is that when we release a GA, we, uh, someone suddenly during the next week or two end up, ended up finding um, one specific case, which probably was not common enough for us to have it in, autom in our automated test cases, but that for them, it was a big thing. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's always very hard to, to account for uh, after a GA, right? Because usually you cannot afford to do another GA right after. Yeah. So what we're going to try to do is what we usually would used to call a GA, we are just going to call it a release candidate. And at that point, we want to try to involve even more people, uh, even ask people to do an upgrade. And hey, if you are brave enough, even put it in production uh, and give us your feedback. Let us know whether was the upgrade easier. Is there anything else, anything we can do so that the upgrade is easier? That would be a best, the best moment for anyone who has to do an upgrade to get involved because any issue we, they, found, they find, it's going to be solved very quickly and they won't have to spend all the time upgrading if there is anything we can do to make it easier for them. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, still, it, it might be hard to, to find more issues then because, of course, everybody is coming in when the GA label is on there um, and only a few people come in when there's the release candidate. Um, and then it's always hard to, to know when to add another GA version. 
but uh, still, well, uh, with this progress and, and with the plan, um, it, it looks like there's uh, it's getting better and better all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so not not wanting to sound like I didn't listen to you to what you said, um, but uh, I think at least I should ask this question on behalf of uh, every listener, um, even after your uh, your statements that you just gave. So when is it out? Six two. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said, I I would prefer to not give any specific dates, but we definitely want to present it during our symposiums. Okay, that gives away uh, quite a bit. Um, we could almost use that as a segue to uh, to one of the other topics, um, because our symposium season is starting, but there is, uh, well, I have already scheduled some recording um, about the symposiums and the various events that we are having um, in September, October time frame. Um, and of course, uh, well, I think I won't uh, publish this episode tomorrow, which means that I'll publish it just after the France Symposium. So the France Symposium is not one of those uh, where we want to present um, 6.2 because that happens yeah. on 6.2. When, when I mentioned yeah, yeah. the symposiums, I was referring to yeah. the two main symposiums, which are the North American Symposium and the European Symposium, which are around October. Yeah. Yeah, so ideally we would have um, a GA or at least a good release candidate by then. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll um, see what happens because by then I will definitely have published this episode and uh, people will know about it. And if we <laughs> don't man uh, manage to do it or if you don't manage to, to publish until then, you'll probably get more questions. Yeah, um, but it's okay explain. because yep. uh, by then people will, will have for sure seen all the progress through the, through the beta cycle and then the release candidate cycle. Mm -hmm. So even if... By then, this is not accurate. They'll know exactly where we are. Uh, so that's mainly my goal. Okay. Okay, then uh, there are a few things that I would like to know from you. I do know that we recently had a feature freeze for uh, LifeRay 6.2. Um, mm -hmm. So we're basically going into uh, fixing mode, uh, finishing up the features that have been begun, and uh, well, hunting those bugs that come in, those unusual use cases or uh, edge cases. Um, but feature freeze means uh, that all of the features that we will see in 6.2 are in. Um, yeah, are there any that uh, you would like to talk about? Yeah, so um, first of all, to clarify, what feature freeze means is that no new features should be started. And only some specific features which are in progress and not about to finish are allowed to continue. Okay? So it doesn't mean like we cut and suddenly half of the features which were half done are, yeah, are half done right? yeah. or half baked into the product. So we do continue to implement some features, but at this point, it's a very reduced number of, of features that have been allowed to keep going during uh, code freeze, during feature freeze. Mm -hmm. And yeah, most of the team is transitioning uh, to bug fixing, although a large part of the team was already doing bug fixing for the last couple of months already. And then regarding your other question, uh, what are those features? Uh, well, we, we have a lot. Um, maybe I can start with, with one that we haven't disclosed yet in any of the previous milestones. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's the result of a year-long work uh, that 
people may be aware of because we've, we've uh, had blog posts about it and even some press releases, which is, I'm referring to the work on Alloy UI 2.0, mm -hmm. which is a very significant improvement over Alloy UI 1.0 in almost all aspects, many more components, more streamlined, uh, much faster. So we have applied Alloy UI 2.0 to LifeRay. We've done that over the last couple of months since we released uh, Milestone 5. In fact, it started before uh, Milestone 5, but in a different branch. And there are many benefits from that. Probably the most relevant would be performance, front-end performance, which is very, very important. And apart from that, the, the next one is the integration of, of Bootstrap. And for those that don't know Bootstrap, it's a CSS framework developed by Twitter. And it could be described as it makes your site look good without almost any effort. And That's very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and it will make LiveRay uh, look very beautiful. All the components, all the forms, all the menus, uh, out of the box. It provides many CSS components, reusable components. One of the other significant benefits, especially for developers, is that it will make much easier to build library themes because we will no longer have our own CSS classes and so on. We will just use the default um, CSS classes from Bootstrap, which means that not only it's much better documented and there are tons of articles everywhere, uh, but also you will be able to reuse the tons of Bootstrap themes that are out there as part of your library themes. Oh, so that is very, very relevant. Uh, one, one drawback, uh, of course, there is always some, some drawback. And in this case is that it will require changes to your themes, uh, yeah. most probably if, if you had a, a library theme before. Uh, but it's definitely worth it. And if that's your case, I would invite you to, to join the beta cycle or the RC cycle soon enough, because we are uh, going to provide documentation about how to do that uh, in the faster way possible. Or are, we are even brainstorming, creating some tools that do a lot of magic for you, convert into Bootstrap. Mm -hmm. um, so if you get involved, we can help you with that migration as you help us by giving us feedback. Yeah, regarding UI, uh, one other interesting thing that we'll also devote in, in Milestone 6 or, or the first beta will be a less intrusive dog bar. Uh, we have been hearing for some time that Many uh, sites, uh, many portals just remove the dog bar unless you're an administrator. Mm -hmm. And of course, our goal with anything we put in the product is that it's useful for as many people as possible. So we've been doing some, some customer research, some user research to find out why that was the case. And we have a completely redesigned dog bar that it's not something so intrusive that goes from left to right. It's only a small portion in the upper right corner um, and yeah, we're really looking forward to disclose that and yeah, probably people will like it. Mm -hmm. And we've done tons of usability improvements as well, um, to the page administration, the control panel is one of the other things we've done since milestone five. Uh, we have a streamlined control panel and one of the key changes there is that we've split the control panel, which is now focused on portal administration from, from the site administration itself. 
So now you no longer have to go to the control panel to administer the current site, uh, which was also uh, not, not something that explicitly people have asked for, but we did get a lot of feedback that has turned us into thinking that that was the solution, right? Too. Um, the feedback was usually that users, specific type of users, which are not portal administrators, got confused when moved to the control panel. Yeah, it's why and should I also, go to some other place uh, in order to do things yeah. here where I'm just uh, on the page? Exactly. And there are lot, lots of things in the control panel. Uh, it's growing and growing. And if people develop their own custom portlets for the control panel specific to their portals, then it grows even more. So we've tried to reorganize it in a nicer way based on many sources of, of feedback. Mm -hmm. So we are really looking forward to the... Um, the feedback from people in that. That sounds really good because I've followed the control panel story from the beginning. Uh, my first version was Library 5.1, which did not have the control panel. Yeah. And then there was a new version uh, with more features, uh, nicer UI every single release. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm quite curious, uh, coming back to the previous topic, I'm quite curious how that theme overhaul looks like because I uh, very well remember that we had a similar um, task to do for themes to migrate from 5.2 to 6.0 yep. uh, and now from 6.1 to 6.2 again. But uh, the migration from 5.2 to 6.0 was not that hard. I remember that it was more or less uh, uh, mechanic um, so mm -hmm. you basically had to replace a few CSS classes. Um, then it was almost done, and then you just had to do the regular fine-tuning, at least as far as the themes that I had my hands on were concerned. Yeah. So there might be more complex ones, but uh, my experience there has not been too bad. Yeah, and in this case, it's, it's the same. I would say there are even less changes, mm -hmm. because they are all focused on CSS. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds good. Um, there's news about Asset Publisher, which is probably not that uh, that prominent, but is kind of one of the things that um, I like to have as, uh, well, in my toolbox as one of the hidden features of LifeRay. Uh, first of all, nobody mm -hmm. knows how to really use Asset Publisher. And then um, there's lots of uh, tips and tricks hidden in Asset Publisher, uh, cross-referencing uh, episode uh, which one was it? Episode 23, which was my symposium presentation on LifeRay's well-hidden features, which had an, uh, an episode about the asset publisher. Um, as far as I know, the next version will be uh, or will make a lot of my um, hidden feature reveals um, uh, was it superfluous, so you won't need them anymore because they will now be regular features in asset publisher, and I'm quite happy about that even though now I don't have my secret knowledge anymore. <laughs> You'll find other things. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it. I'm still collecting them, so maybe uh, there's something more for this year. Um, I'll have to see. Yeah, so we, as you say, yeah, we've, we've made several uh, improvements to Asset Publisher. We have quite a lot of improvements to WCM. I can mention some of those too, but specific to Asset Publisher, uh, we've done some improvements to the usability. As, as you say, it's a power tool. It offers tons of options. So we've tried to streamline a little bit the, those options. Um, uh, but we've also, I, I would say the biggest change has been not in the UI, but rather in the backend. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we've introduced a new implementation of the backend for Asset Publisher, which instead of being based on a database, it's based on, on the Lucene index or the Solar index if you use Solar. Oh, nice. And the great benefit of that is that it's much, much faster. So we are still in the process of doing the performance uh, testing, mm -hmm. but yeah, the preliminary testing shows that it's much, much faster. And especially with complex queries, because asset publishing is pretty fast if you have, you know, if you choose the right configuration, which, is a, which results in a simple query to the database. Mm -hmm. But most probably people don't do that, right? Since it offers a lot of power, why not use it? Uh, but then as you add more and more options to your query to decide which contents to show, then it becomes slower and slower. Especially if you take into account things as, such as permissions, then it's super slow. Yeah. But with the index, it almost doesn't care about how complex is, is your query. Uh -huh. So for complex queries, the difference will be huge in terms of, of performance. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, and that's also allowed us to, to do all sorts of cool things as well, such as, for example, uh, if you have web content with a given structure and you have a field, uh, it will allow you to filter by the value of that field. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. So right now, you don't only have the option to filter by tags or categories, but if you are filtering web content and only displaying web content, you can say, and this field, which is visibility or internal visibility or privacy or... or um, target, user range of eights, I don't know, something very specific to you, you can use the asset publisher to filter by those fields as well. So it becomes even more of a power tool, avoiding the need to develop uh, custom portlets for those situations. Mm -hmm. Well, then One I'm other set of... Yeah, go much, ahead. Then I'm very much curious to, to see the next version, and I'm almost about to call this close because you'll have to work, uh, get it out early, yes. but let's continue. <laughs> Sorry, I no, was interrupting uh, you. I can just summarize. Uh, one, other one other improvement is related to one of the hot topics of 6.2, which is the high-demanded ability to share content across sites. Yes. And a big part of, uh, of that will be happening through Asset Publisher. So in this version, there is the option to create a hierarchy of sites. And then that's one of the two main ways of sharing content across sites, mm -hmm. which is picking content from the child sites or if the parent allows a lot a child site could pick content from, from the parent. Mm -hmm. And the second main method is if one administrator administers two or more sites, he can pick content from any of those sites he administers. Mm -hmm. That's the second way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you're interested, they can give you a small list of things that people, uh, they can get people interested in the new version. For example, we have a new recycle bin, which is, uh, it's been a significant amount of effort that will it's, be a big thing, yes. Yeah. So I think the, more than describing the, the recycle bin in detail, I think I can describe our, our philosophy with it, which mm -hmm. is basically that the user's data is sacred. And it should, the system should not allow to delete it. Mm -hmm. so to just let them lose it just because they make a mistake, for example, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's why we've developed the recycle bin, and we've applied it to... Many things, many, many portlets in library, web content, document library, even bookmarks. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you delete something, it's in the recycle bin and you, you can restore it. Mm -hmm. And we are applying to more and more things. But even more interesting, I would say, especially for your audience of developers, is that it's a framework. 
So now if you want to do the same type of functionality in your own portlets, it's going to be much easier. It's, it ties into the asset framework. So if you were already using that, it's even easier for you. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. It's going to be very, very easy to implement and do of the lithiums in your own portlets as well. Yeah, so far it's, um, I would say it's hard to see what, uh, why would I want to tie into the asset framework. Um, I'll get tags, I'll get categories, but that's not what I'm thinking of uh, firsthand for my objects. But when I get things like Recycle Bin as well and probably more goodies, um, then it definitely uh, makes more and more sense. And I'm also thinking of a cross-pollination there uh, where it really makes sense to have a recycle bin. Um, maybe you can tell me if I'm remotely correct there or uh, if this is unaffected, uh, which is when we have Life Ray Sync. And mm -hmm. uh, I yeah. do remember that uh, in scenarios where people are sharing um, access to a Dropbox folder, um, from time to time, uh, somebody deletes a whole hierarchy of objects and, um, well, they will not be disappearing, but they will be thrown to the recycle bin, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we've been very, very careful to, to handle the listings of entire folders very nicely, mm -hmm. uh, which means that you can even search within the recycle bin. Let's say you've deleted a folder with a huge amount of folders uh, in different levels inside and tons of documents, you can just go to the recycle bin and search, and it's going to search the document that it's inside three levels of folders mm -hmm. uh, that someone maybe accidentally deleted. And then it can even tell you, hey, this, this document, we found it here because someone deleted this folder. And mm -hmm. you can decide what to do, whether you want to just restore that single document, you want to restore the whole uh, folder because maybe other people have lost other documents. So we've been very careful to to make it very easy to recover the, from those scenarios. Very nice. Yeah, and yeah, we, there are tons of improvements. People have probably heard of the new calendar, which is like Google Calendar, but with some additions such as resources observation. Resources mm -hmm. uh, we have application display templates, which have also been in the first milestones and have received lots of feedback. Lots of improvements to web content administration the collaboration portlets. But since you have a lot of um, developers in your audience, I think uh, if I have to highlight one so that we can, we can finish on time, uh, I would say that we now have an embedded OSGI container. And if you are a developer and you know what OSGI is, uh, you will probably get excited about this and how many op options it opens. If you don't know what OSGI means, then I, I would recommend that you take a look because it's definitely a, a big thing. Mm -hmm. And with an OSGI container within LiveRay, you can deploy OSGI modules within LiveRay as a new plugin type. You just drop it into the auto-deploy folder and it allows you to deploy it. And then we'll provide some sample tools that will allow um, starting and stopping, restarting them completely. Uh, it's a very, very cool technology. And this is just the beginning because it's also going to open up a lot of opportunities for, for LiveRay's ne uh, next versions after 6.2 to, to leverage the power of, of OSGI. So it's finally in. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been around for a while um, as a kind of technology study. Maybe I'll have to get Ray back on that. Who, uh, do you know who was working with him on this? Um, I do know yeah, Ray was working two, on it, but there were probably more. The two lead developers were, were Ray Oye and Miguel Pastor. 
Okay. I'll try to get one of those, uh, one of them. And uh, so if both are listening, uh, keep yourself uh, pre-selected and I'll be out for you soon. Hide when you see my name um, <laughs> on an email. Or just don't hide. Just come to me and uh, let's make up uh, um, a recording date. Mm -hmm. um, another thing about uh, uh, where we do get um, where we do get community feedback, where we do get developer feedback from outside, um, I'd very much like to make some noise for that as well. Uh, is the Liferay Bug Squad team? Um, I have seen that mm -hmm. those have been pounding hard on the milestones um, that we put out. Um, so if you go to liferay.com slash community slash bug squad, um, then you will see a long list of faces and names of people that, um, that have actually participated in the effort. And um, they are many, many people. I can't even count them right now. So it's a long, literally long list of uh, portrait images. Um, um, well, and they probably even more um, have helped quite well to iron out um, glitches uh, from the milestones. I've seen some some good statistics on that. Yeah, and it's I think it's it's a great uh, symbiotic relationship. It's a win-win for for both. Uh, we learn a lot from that feedback, from that early feedback, and for anyone participating, it's a great opportunity to give your ideas and make them happen, uh, which I, I think uh, because I've been there from the other side as well in, in the past, and it, it gives you a sense of power that you don't have with non-open source products, mm -hmm. is that you can actually change things. Yeah, and it's very, very welcome. So if somebody feels like uh, you want to contribute but you don't know where to start, um, the Liferay Bug Squad team is actually a very nice place a very nice team to to work with, and there's a forum, um, probably all, yeah, also linked on this page. So everything there is uh, designed to help you get uh, get access to Liferay people um, for the price of helping to bring the product forward. Uh, so, is there anything that we forgot talking about um, that you want to add to the list of things that we? Um, well, if, if by the time uh, this is published and you're listening to it, you, you are still on time to register for DEF CON, I would definitely recommend going there. So for those who haven't heard about it yet, basically DEF CON is, is the first big developer-focused event. Previously, uh, we had lots of developer-focused uh, talks in our symposiums, but this year, we're going to do, uh, in Europe, a big uh, developer-focused event. So, yeah, many developers, many core developers from around the world are going to be there. So I would say that if, if you are listening to this and you are a developer or an early adopter, then I, I would definitely recommend you to, to go there. And, yeah, I would love to actually meet all of you and get your feedback. Yes, you definitely want to be there. Uh, it is in October. I'm blanking on the current uh, dates, but it is, uh, let me briefly look it up, uh, October 9 and 10 in Berlin, Germany. 
uh, with an additional extra day um, that I'll talk about with uh, James quite soon. Um, so we have scheduled an episode uh, where we actually want to blow the horn, where we want to um, uh, well, kind of make noise for exactly this event uh, and for the upcoming symposiums. Because so far, that's uh, literally the best way to get into contact with LifeRay people, with the LifeRay ecosystem, and uh, also with customers uh, to to get some ideas um, how they are using LifeRay and what they are doing uh, with the product. Um, but this one, uh, definitely uh, technology-focused, uh, development-focused. Um, so bring your propeller head and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Okay, so far, um, I think we're done. There's, uh, well, one, one more question, uh, which is you had, uh, last year's symposium, you started your architecture talk, um, and then mm -hmm. you continued, uh, with an architecture blog series. And, um, well, coming from the Radio Liferay background, uh, I very much know how it goes. Uh, there's lots of different, uh, things that distract you, um, on the way. Uh, will you continue this architecture series um, or is it done now? No, no, I, I will continue. Uh, I, I'm very ashamed that I haven't uh, written a blog post for the last three months probably, but probably by the time this goes out, um, I actually take that as a challenge. I will have published several blog posts more. It, it's kind of funny because I started the blog post series uh, because almost half of the slides that I had prepared for my talking at the symposium, uh, I didn't have time to go over them. So I thought, hey, why don't I write a blog post? But I just started from the beginning, you know, so that everybody had context. But then I've, I haven't been able to get to those slides that I didn't cover. So who knows, maybe I'll have to cover those other slides at DEF CON as an advanced architecture, uh, covering things such as class loading and um, more advanced caching and lots of funny stuff. Yay. Very good. So I didn't want to, to make you feel guilty, but, uh, well, because uh, I, I am basically in the same situation, um, trying to work on it as well, but uh, still I shouldn't be the one to throw the first stone, um, <laughs> as one would say. Well, still, I'm looking very much looking forward um, to the uh, continued architecture series. Um, and, uh, well, I guess I'll see you in October at the DEF CON. Yeah, see you in October and hope to see many people from the community too. Okay, so thanks for your time and, uh, well, talk to you then. Yeah, talk to you then. Thanks a lot, Alaf.